When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, what's the connection between the modern-day UFO phenomenon and the birth of the modern state of Israel? So what we're witnessing in the Middle East is the very edge of history happening. And the prophecies are like lamps that shed light on there for us so we have the algorithms of knowledge to decipher what's happening, to understand the mysterious code of reality from the point of view of God. And what God says is that there is an angelic war happening and that's why I'm returning with my chariots. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions is here to discuss UFOs in Israel. Before we get rolling, I want to tell you, Coast to Coast AM fans, that I'll be filling in for George Norrie tonight, Friday, May 21st. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. And don't forget to check out and don't forget to check out my new radio program, The Richard Serrett Show. News, views, interviews, and analysis from a populist conservative point of view. Weekday afternoons, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Saga 960 AM. That's Saga, as in Mississauga, just west of Toronto. Saga is spelled S-A-U-G-A. S-A-U-G-A. Saga 960 AM. You can stream it live at saga960am.ca. The 1947 Roswell incident and the birth of the state of Israel. Is there a connection? Ali Siadatan connects the birth 
Ali Siadatan connects the modern-day UFO phenomenon and UFO crashes to a cosmic struggle and to a prophetic timing that may very well relate to events in the Middle East and even to the second coming of Christ. How do the pieces of this puzzle fit together? We're about to find out. Hey, Ali, welcome back to the program. How are you? Fine, thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. We're going to connect the dots between the modern-day UFO phenomenon which took off in 1947, of course, with the Kenneth Arnold UFO sighting and Roswell and the Aztec UFO incident and, and many, many others that took place in that year. 1947 is so pivotal. But 1947-48, really, is also pivotal in biblical prophecy because it is the fulfillment of one of the most important prophecies in the Bible, and that is the Jews, which had been scattered to the four corners of the world come together and form the modern state of Israel in 1947, well, the UN resolution in 47 to partition. Then, of course, we had the Arab-Israeli war in 1948, culminating in the birth of the modern-day state of Israel. Let's connect the dots, or, or can we? Is there a connection between the modern-day UFO phenomenon in 1947 and the birth of the modern state of Israel? I think there is, um, because all of the elements of reality that are outside of our window come together in the biblical narrative. There's one story that we're all living, and all of these things are the elements of that one story. And I find it's like turning the volume on on a television set, where you're watching a movie without the volume, and you're trying to understand the images that go by, and you're trying to explain them according to your own thinking. But someone comes in the room and says, have you considered the volume button? And once the volume comes on, and you hear them speak, and you hear the narrator, everything falls into place. This is what, how these images connect. So these things appear very far from each other, the state of Israel, Bible prophecy, the UFO phenomenon, how could they possibly be related? But they are, and the key is the narrative uh, of the Bible that puts them together. The story that the Bible tells puts all of these together, because the Bible presents the end of days essentially as a war of angels. And I think that is exactly why this part of the Bible is coming to life in our generation. You know, we have, people have thought about many uh, bodies of knowledge that exist in the Bible, but actually angels have been neglected throughout history, you know, other than acknowledging that they exist, and this is the passages that talk about them. But today, suddenly, this part of the Bible is really opening up before our eyes because this isn't part of the narrative that we need to understand these connections. Um, I think it's very interesting that in the Bible, the angels uh, are not bird men. They are not men or women but with, with bird-like uh, things coming out of their shoulder blades, out of their scapula, that they flap to fly around. Neither are they Cupid-like uh, boys with tiny little wings, as painted sometimes by the masters of the Renaissance. In the Bible itself, we have these mighty, mighty uh, scenes of, you know, uh, um, wheels within wheels and, and uh, whirlwinds and uh, uh, colors of, of, of barrel and bronze and burnishing uh, stones and all kinds of incredibly uh, magnificent structures, even often called uh, chariots um, or vehicles, in or fact. Ezekiel's they, wheel. 
Yeah, Ezekiel's wheel, for instance, the chariots that take up Elijah, and even, and this is fascinating, even in um, the very apocalyptic uh, chapter of Isaiah 66, um, in, in verse 15, it talks about how God, and I'll just read it right out of the Bible, for behold, the Lord will come in fire, and in his chariots, like the whirlwind, to render his anger with fury. And I have to insist that until recently, there was no other vehicle but chariot. Chariot was like the Cadillac of, of Isaiah's time. So when, when you know, of course, God was going to have a vehicle, it was going to be a Cadillac. But the truth is that the Hebrew word points us to something that carries something from A to B. And by extension, it also means cavalry, right? Because, you know, the cavalry comes in vehicles. So, rechev, merkeva, all of these words that are used are actually talking about transportation devices of some kind. And even the name of God, one of the titles of God, is Adonai Tzvaot. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting. Tzva means army. And Tzvaot, when you add the ot, it becomes plural, armies. Adonai Tzvaot literally means the Lord of Heaven's armies. It is one of the titles of God, which means that there are armies in Heaven. Also, I think it's the book of Numbers in the five books of Moses that quotes the books of the wars of Yahweh. It says, as it is written in the books of the wars of Yahweh, we don't have that book, but it is quoted. Who you know, Moses had access to it, it seems. So, um, definitely there's armies in heaven. Even the Lord said that he could call upon an, uh, legions of angels to come. I think he was going to call um, um, uh, enough angels, legions, to subdue all of the nations that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. Um, so he, he said he could do that, but the time had, had not come. So there's an, why would God come back with an army of angels? Why would he come back in these vehicles called chariots? Right. Well, I wanted to ask you about the angels because we uh, are accustomed to thinking. Tradition uh, tells us that angels, uh, both fallen and the messenger of, messengers of gods, are, are spiritual entities. Uh, and that perhaps maybe they're even omniscient. So why would they need physical craft to go from place A to B? Well, we don't actually know um, if angels are like that. That's an assumption that we have made. It just, you know, we have imagined them with, with the biggest uh, imagination that we could we we had. We made them into these magical creatures, but. In the Bible, they're part of created order. They function within the laws of creation like we do. Um, and the laws of creation, they are vast and deep. And the more you know about how they function, in a way, the more advanced and old and ancient you are. I mean, look at what we know compared to people, let's say, 200 years ago about the laws of physics, about sending rocket ships uh, into outer space or cell phone technology or uh, DNA splicing or cloning or breaking the atom in half all of these things would be considered mighty knowledge that uh, those who are of the world of God and angels could pierce and understand. The, that's the kind of beings that the Bible uh, is, is describing. These guys know more about the laws of creation, and in some ways maybe less, because we were made in the image of God, 
and maybe we have an intimate understanding of certain attributes of God's character that eludes them. Um, so that's also interesting. Um, we may have different giftings than they do, but definitely there are characters that are initiated into the mysteries of the creation, which include uh, some of the things that we have come to understand as well. When you look at the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and look at the children of Cain, they, they, it's mentioned, and nothing in the Bible is mentioned just like that. There's a point to it, that there, there, there was the first of the metallurgists, the first of the musicians, you know, the first of the tent dwellers. Um, Cain himself built a city, which means that he understood geometry and architecture, these are the kinds of bodies of knowledge that those who are made in the image of God are operating in. And when the angels come to the earth before the flood, they also speak into bodies of knowledge that we would consider as sciences, except they pervert them for their own use. But they're not doing this because we're so lowly and we can only understand you know, these things like astronomy and mathematics and metallurgy and how to build swords. They're doing it because they operate in these bodies of knowledge that are part of the makeup of the created order. So the actual study of angels, as I said, is a new thing. Um, and, and it hasn't been necessary for the previous generations of Christians and even Jewish uh, rabbis to go so deep into this matter because they did not live at a time where the world of men and angels was about to collide so intimately. And now that we're actually looking at it in some ways for the first time, and because of the day and age we live in and the season of history we live in, what we are seeing is so radically different than what we had imagined. For instance, in Psalm 68, it says the chariots of God are thousands and thousands. David writes, my Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. So he was with his chariots and his angels in Sinai, and now he's amongst them. And you think, wow, God is amongst his chariots? Why? Well, let me put it to you this way. Did God not walk on the shores of Galilee? Was he not sitting on the boats of the fishermen? Or was he not um, with his people, even at the end of Roman whips? You take that God who sat on the back of a mule, and you put him in the heavens, uh, with his angels, in his chariots that are extraordinary things, far more advanced than the boats of the fishermen of Galilee. And somehow that is strange, but you put him on a fisherman's boat, that's all fine and dandy. Well, obviously this is cultural notions of reality and, and certain, you know, um, unspoken uh, agreements that people have when they speak about God. It's not based on reason and logic and the study of Scripture. This is a very interesting passage, by the way, uh, Psalm 68. But, so he is among his chariots, among, and then he returns with his chariots. Isaiah says, a few centuries after David writes this, Isaiah continues the train of thought, and he says, yes, but he will return with his chariots. So there is an army of angels coming, and that is why I think the UFO phenomenon becomes relevant. Now, when the fallen angels came to earth and the fallen angels took as wives the daughters of men uh, and they landed uh, at Mount Hermon. Do you think they landed in a UFO? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, the nature of the universe is unknown to us. We don't know all the building blocks of the creation. We don't really know what, how are these vehicles, what does the inside look like? 
and we don't know where it actually goes, nor how does it get there. Um, so we have a lot of mystery still, um, and we don't want to turn it into like the the travels of Captain James T. Kirk. Um, on the other hand, we don't want to miss out on the great revelation of our time, um, and uh, and not understand that there is something real that carries these beings from wherever it is they're coming. Now, does it land and whatever? I would argue that in the book of Ezekiel, I think that what I'm seeing with these poles that come out and these feet that look like hoofs, I feel I feel it's landing gear. I mean, it's got to hold something things up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, what is a tree but a technology that creates oxygen? What is a mule but a technology that serves us in many different ways? Even the body we live in, technology is nothing more than organizing God's creation according to certain understandings, certain bodies of knowledge, certain schematics. And so the more advanced you are, so to speak, in you know among the created beings, among the angels and men, I would say the more you know of the things that you can create in this world and in this universe, so there's te- everything is a technology, you know. Uh, even the planet Earth is a technology. It is the place that holds the sons of Adam and Eve. It is the incubation chamber of the immortal sons and daughters of God who have a place in the future of the cosmos and beyond. But its purpose will be done one day, and there will be a new heaven and a new Earth. So in that sense, there is an architecture done here where God created it for a purpose, Spaceships can be created for purposes, so can jet fighters. All of these things are part of the one reality, which is the creation. We have arbitrarily divided into the physical world and the ghostly world, our world and their world. And this is how we do things. They're magical beings. All of this stuff is just made up, basically, in our imagination. Okay, so if we look at the Bible as, or the history, really, our, our narrative as, you know, the, the Hebrews coming together into the Holy Land uh, and then, you know, being taken into captivity and uh, divided into two kingdoms and then, you know, the, uh, the Northern Kingdom, the tribes of the Northern Kingdom basically vanish uh, or disperse uh, and then ultimately, you know, reconvening, uh, a gathering, the regathering of Jews into the Holy Land, you know, thousands of years later. Uh, what what does that have to do with the UFO phenomenon? The timing. What connects them together is the timing. Um, the, this idea of uh, the dispersion of the Jewish people to the nations and their regathering is one of the most talked about themes of all the whole, uh, of the whole Bible, and it, it's mentioned as early as the writings of Moses, and like a heartbeat, it continues, and we get more and more camera angles into it, but it's very, very unlikely that they would ever be regathered and brought to the land, because they, the Roman Empire disperses them, um, the, the temple itself is destroyed, and, and a temple of Jupiter is placed on top of where the Holy of Holies was, and I believe that's what happened when the Islamic forces took it. They destroyed the temple of Jupiter and built, you know, uh, the Dome of the Rock. So this whole um, dispersion seems so final and so long 
to the point where people even start to imagine that it's never going to happen again. Or even some say, well, you know what, there's a new Israel in town, and it's called the Church of Jesus Christ, and the Jewish people don't have a destiny anymore unless they become believers in Jesus. Um, and that leads to blood libels and to inquisitions and persecutions of its own. Um, so it becomes more and more foreign, the idea that this could ever even happen, because um, eventually, um, uh, you know, the Islamic forces control that, that land all the way into 1917. Um, and then suddenly we start to see the wheels of history shifting and turning in the 17th century, where there is among the Jewish people who are Orthodox a repentance movement. And it's interesting because it says in the Bible that, you know, repent um, and, you know, uh, humble yourselves, repent and uh, ask for forgiveness for your sins, and I will heal your land. That's what it says. And so there's a, there is nearly a mystical connection here between the people and the land. They're part of a covenant. So uh, suddenly Christians uh, in, in the British Empire start to think, we have been given all this power to bring the people uh, of Israel back to this land. It's called the Cyrus Call, like King Cyrus opened the door for them to go back. It's our job to do the same thing. And then we start to see that the World War I removes this land out of the hands of the Ottoman Empire and gives it into the hands of the British. And then there's a mysterious timing happening here, uh, which is around 50s. You see, 50 in the uh, uh, Bible is when inheritance that has been lost is given back to people every 50 years. It's one of the laws of God in the Bible. So in 1917, um, there is this declaration, you know, that we should give a portion of, of this land back to the people. Then 50 years later, Jerusalem in 1967 becomes part of the commonwealth of the Jewish people after 2,000 years of absence. And then 50 years after that, in 2017, the most important house of governorship among the nations, the U.S. presidency, declares Jerusalem the legal and official capital of Israel. So there is really kind of this idea that every 50 years, it seems, the inheritance is returned, and people start to to appreciate the literal fulfillment of so many of these prophecies. For instance, I'll just read a brief one from the scroll of Ezekiel, but you mountains of Israel, you will shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit for my people Israel, for their return is near. For behold, I am for you, I will turn to you, you will be tilled and sown, I will settle a large population upon you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities will be inhabited, the desolate places will be built up, I will multiply man and beast upon you, they will increase and be fruitful. Um, so I will cause you to be inhabited as you were before. Um, so this is interesting. I will do better for you than at your beginnings. Um, so it's interesting because um, the Mark Twain, who takes a Mediterranean cruise to this land, says that, you know it was quite desolate. And suddenly, um, the desert begins to bloom. Unlikely places that everyone thought was so arid you couldn't plant a thing becomes so lush that people from different nations come to Israel to learn about agriculture, people from much more fertile lands, cities that have been dormant, abandoned, evacuated, come back to life just like Ezekiel is describing it. And so people start to take these prophecies more literally. 
and they start to think, well, maybe we were wrong. Maybe they haven't been replaced, and maybe this is actually uh, being fulfilled on the stage of history. And when, when you kind of follow these prophecies to their culmination, you go, okay, then what happens? There's a series of wars, then what happens? Well, eventually it ends with the coming of the Messiah and his armies and the establishing of a kingdom on earth, and that's where I find the UFO convergence interesting. More of my conversation with Ali Siadatan when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month. Plus, access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Ali Siadatan is here, and we're talking about the connection between the UFO phenomenon and the state of Israel. At each step of the Zionist movement to reestablish the modern state of Israel, is Satan aware of the importance of the reestablishment in terms of the return of the Messiah? Is Satan aware of that? And if so, do we see his footprints in history in terms of trying to forestall at each step of the way, the formation of the modern state of Israel in order to prevent the return of the Messiah? I think so. I think so. Uh, to prevent the return of the Messiah and ultimately to prevent his own judgment, because it says, you see, it's interesting, there's three temptations that Jesus has. And in one of the temptations, uh, Satan quotes the book of Psalms to Jesus. A, messiah, a messianic prophecy. He quotes a, a prophecy about the Messiah. And if you and I were to read this, I don't know if we would even understand that this is a messianic prophecy, but Satan did. And the Lord doesn't argue with him. You know, Satan says to, to him, it is, has been said of you, it's been written about you this. And then the Lord says, yes, but it's also it said, don't tempt the Lord God. So it's interesting that he reads the Bible and reads it in such detail that he could pick pinpoint out of the you know, the songs and worship songs of King David, 
a prophecy about the Messiah, right? So I find that really interesting that Satan is paying attention to what God is saying, if some people may not be. So following that logic, now that God has removed the veil after, you know, uh, the death and resurrection of the Lord redeemed the human race and gave him this, uh, the scepter of rule and victory uh, over the works of the devil, I think the veil has been removed. And now it's clear that, that there'll be... the. Uh, judgment he will be put in chains when the lord returns and his reign on earth which has been diminished since the resurrection of christ and the giving of the holy spirit and the toppling of the pantheon of the gods his reign which has been diminished will come to an end and he'll be arrested he understands that so his incentive is to prolong the status quo and to stop these things from happening so he has provided resistance at every stage first we see um, that as the Zionist movement brings the Jewish people back, both Christian and Jewish Zionist movements, bring the Jewish people back to the land, we suddenly see that there, it, there's problems caused in the Middle East, in the land itself, under the British mandate. And these guys are like, well, look, we need to think about this. Well, where did that trouble suddenly come from? What was the undertow? Um, and while they're waiting, stuck in Europe, this is called the White Papers, suddenly we see... Uh, the rise of Adolf Hitler, who, uh, whose architect, Albert Speer, recreates the altar of Zeus um, in the city of Nuremberg. And from there, uh, he stands and he declares the Nuremberg laws that lead to a burnt offering, which is called Holocaust, which that's what it means, burnt offering. And, and Hitler then says, you know what, forget the 1,000-year rule of the Jewish Messiah that's in the Bible. Let's create the 1,000-year Reich. And if you really look into the Nazi movement, you really see a occult under uh, occult heart that, that something was released. There was a, uh, a worship of the, of the pagan gods. Uh, spiritualism was unleashed. Um, astron- astrology and um, sorcery and all kinds of things were being utilized. And so there was a, something spiritual about the rise of the Nazis. It wasn't your run-of-the-mill, you know, let's take over the world type of thing. And that's why it targeted the, 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 those who were coming unbeknownst perhaps to themselves, because a lot of the Jewish people, I don't think, understood themselves. And that's what makes it compelling, that they're actually coming to fulfill these prophecies. So when they get into the land, we are to understand all the ideological wars against them, from the one that we're experiencing today to the one that will bring about the Messiah. All of these ideological wars are essentially led by the one angel it's an angelic war and that's why anti-semitism is something that uh, has been here since the days of of the first passover in egypt it's why is it that every single generation there's some sort of an excuse created to destroy and kill uh, the jewish people it's not normal it's not natural no one lives long enough to have the same ongoing plan unless that person is an angel it's an angelic war against them because the, the, it's like a spear. They are the head of a spear. When Israel is back in the land and goes through a spiritual revival and calls for her Messiah, and the Messiah and his angels come, when we see that picture, when you turn your television on and you see the Messiah and Israel in that land united, that will 
open the gate, open the vault, suddenly it's like as though time has a vault on it. That vault will turn and the door will open to the next age of history and Israel and the Messiah will walk in it and the nations will follow them in um, like the spearhead that leads the rest of the spear. So what we're witnessing in the Middle East is the very edge of history happening. And, and, and the prophecies are like a lamp that should light on there for us so we have the algorithms of knowledge to decipher what's happening, to understand the mysterious code uh, of reality from the point of view of God. And what God says is that there is an angelic war happening, and that's why I'm returning with my chariots. So the... the um UN declaration in 1947 for the partition of Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state coincides with the modern-day UFO phenomenon beginning with Kenneth Arnold uh, in in the state of Washington and uh, his sighting of you know fly a squadron of flying saucers followed well, okay, by well, I, followed, can I just make a point, yeah, a yeah. point about that okay so it's interesting where he has the sighting it's on the Cascade Mountains, and it's around Mount Shasta. I don't know if people know, but there's about 28 occult temples. It's one of the, it's the most important uh, place for the worship of the fallen angel and other occult practices in the entire United States of America. Uh, it's Mount Shasta. That, uh, that area, the Cascade Mountains of Washington State, it's around this occult, you know, place of occult worship that we get the sign of the beginning of the UFO age because the Kenneth Arnold testimony becomes really what triggers the entire thing and people can listen on YouTube to his testimony. And again, to the secular mind, it appears as though we're talking about aliens and has nothing to do with the Bible, but to the mind that sees things from ancient times and follows it from the Garden of Eden to this day, this is a sign that the nature of this phenomenon is dark, and that is why it appears on the top of that mountain. Now go to the next sign, the one you mentioned before I interrupted you. Oh, after Kenneth Arnold? Well, uh, I would say Roswell in, um, in the summer and, of 1947. Right. July, the next month. So what's interesting about that one is that it's a crash. And and you think, oh, wow, now here we are, the friendly aliens who are here to help us and to usher a new age of history have finally made it to Earth only to crash? Why? Well, the sign of the crash points perhaps to the angelic war. Because if you look at the prophecies of the Second Coming, it, it seems that the Lord deploys some sort of a technology, because he promised with the sign of the rainbow that he would never destroy the earth again by fire, um, by, sorry, by water. And that's each time we're looking at a rainbow at the window, that is what we are seeing, a sign of a covenant. Every covenant in the Bible is a sign. So when he returns to the earth, and, and all these nations have gathered against Jerusalem, and he comes to fight them, um, he it says, um, and I'm just looking at the passage very quickly, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a, is a spiritual center that God has put his finger on as the center of his own personal rule. 
um, which is the Lord will strike all the people uh, get war, that wage war against Jerusalem, their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Now, that's a pretty gruesome description. I'll say. And it, yeah. And I, it's, it seems to me like heavy-duty radiation. And so when, for instance, I was thinking about this today, when you look at the story of the angels that destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and we have this eyewitness, Abraham, who gets up the next morning and he sees the smoke rising... We imagine that God somehow, from his throne in heaven, telepathically moved, you know, sulfur and things like that and just threw it on them. Like, like the sky opened up maybe from another dimension and sulfur came down. But we know that there were angels present uh, around those events because angels came to take Lot out of Sodom. Um, and we know that, um, and, and, and the angels were so beautiful that the men of Sodom wanted to have relations with them. And it wasn't just because they were used to having relations with men. It was actually because they were used to having relations with angels. Um, that was what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. It had become a hotbed uh, with what we see today among us, with, with women who say they're so um, blessed and happy to be pr- impregnated by aliens. That was the kind of activity that was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's why they're like, oh, we, we like this with these guys. So, And angels and God came to declare the birth of Isaac to Abraham, so we see that there was angels at, uh, involved. So God may have ordered his angels to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And let's remember that they are creatures like us, part of the creation. And no, they don't wiggle their noses or their ears or telepathically move things around and, and just, you know, snap their fingers. That's nowhere in no literature, biblical or or anything even, you know, remotely connected to the Bible, like the Book of Enoch, Dewey or Jasher or any of these books, do we ever see angels operate in that magical way? And so it's possible that these angels have used, I'm sorry, but what we would call essentially technology. Uh, you know, do you, like for instance, harnessing the uh, power of light to create beams of laser. I know we think, oh, well, that's nothing. Wait till the angels come. No, that's actually quite advanced. So I don't know how they did it. I don't exactly know, you know, how they organized God's creation to create the kind of firepower. But I can see that that they may have used some sort of firepower. And what I'm reading in Zechariah, in the last moment of history, before the Lord establishes his kingdom, um, it seems to be something like that as well. So the crash of Roswell is a second sign that says to us, um, there is something, yes, occult and dark. Look, look the, at the first mountain. There is something uh, conflictual and war. There's a war happening here, and there's a crash because when the Lord comes back, it, the, the little horn of Daniel, who, who, which is universally understood to be um, a, a, a symbol of the final world leader, it says that he will make stars fall from heaven to earth and. That is an idiom for angels. It says that he makes fire come from the sky. And so it's possible when the Lord returns with his angels that there is a war of angels. And in my documentary, I got this footage from NASA, from Columbia Shuttle, that shows, it seems, two, two ships in, a, in, in the atmosphere of the Earth, one shooting on the other and then missing it. And so 
it's possible that that these are the the timing of these things coincides uh, with with the state of Israel um, and and says to us that that a new strategy is at hand and that the uh, UFO phenomenon you know uh, suddenly appears out of the woodworks like what's all that about which corresponds to the year of the fulfillment of this massive prophecy but even the nature of these very two original seminal um, events of the UFO phenomenon may point to the nature of what we're dealing with, uh, something that is both dark and defeated well, from the beginning before it even takes off. Why, why Roswell, uh, New Mexico? Uh, because, for example, I, I had heard or read that yeah. we, going back to Mount Hermon, where the fallen angels first gathered before taking uh, as wives the daughters of men and creating this race of uh, giants, the Nephilim, uh, that that Mount Hermon is on the same um, degree latitude as right. Roswell, New Mexico. I don't know if there's any truth to that, uh, but it, let's yeah. assume that there is. Right. Yes, and so that's interesting because... Um, Mount Hermon, one of the great cities at the foot of Mount Hermon is 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 Bashan, which is um, where one of the Nephilim kings lived in the Holy Land when the sons of Israel came out of Egypt. Um, his name was Og, and I think his tomb may still be there in the Valley of Rephaim. And and so let me uh, just uh, read this. A few verses. It says, "When Shaddai, which means when the Almighty, scattered kings, there it was snowing on Zalman. Mount Bashan is a mountain of God. Mount Bashan is a mountain of peaks. Why do you gaze with envy, you mountain peaks, at the mountain God desired for His dwelling? Yes, the Lord will dwell there forever." The chariots of God are thousands and thousands. My Lord is among them at Sinai in holiness. So it's interesting that this very famous verse that talks about the chariots of God by King David is actually connected to the verses prior to it that criticize Mount Bashan. And mountain, in the language of the Bible, we see it over and over and over again. It means um, an, a prideful, ambitious um, place of rulership. The, the gods ruled from, from the mountains. Uh, you have Mount Zephon, Mesopotamia, the Mount Olympus, and, and, and these mounds and these mountains and these uh, ziggurats they built, which had seven steps, and apparently Solomon's little mountain, the one that he sat on to rule, had also seven stages up to where his seat, where he was, and so it, it represents rule, and, and in the Holy Spirit, it seems King David is pointing to Bashan and, and, and saying, wait, no, why have you guys taken this, this peak? Even this stronghold belongs to the Lord and, and to his chariots, because I think that it's making a connection between the chariots of the fallen angels and their presence on the mountain and the chariots of God, and his true ownership of the mountain he's created, uh, meaning that he is the source of all the authorities of the creation, and he's, he's taking back that authority. He's removing it from them. So there is definitely a connection between uh, the fallen angels, these chariots, and if indeed Roswell is on the same uh, um, uh, latitude as um, Mount Hermon, 
it becomes a physical way that topography of the earth itself provides a connection and insight to the nature of the current UFO phenomenon as it appears at the dawn of the birth pang years, which is the birth of the state of Israel. And we see this often, that the land tells the story of the Bible. For instance, here's a quick glimpse of the topography of the Holy Land. Um, the lowest place on the earth is the Dead Sea. Nothing lives there. It's dead. And yet north of that is the wonderful, lush Sea of Galilee. The water flows from Galilee to the Dead Sea, and then it evaporates into the air because of the sun, and then it rains over the whole land. And is not the Lord begins his ministry in Galilee, where he speaks the words of life? He comes down to Jerusalem, to, to, to around the Dead Sea, where he dies, like the Dead Sea dies. Then he ascends, like the water that evaporates, and then he, uh, he speaks to the world as the rain that falls from heaven. So I think that, that there is perhaps something here, if this is true, that the land itself, the earth itself, is connecting dots for us and saying, look, look, this is what's happening. These guys are putting on a new mask. They were gods to the people of the ancient world, aliens to you guys. But actually, this is the convergence of sign that the fallen angels who use these chariots are reinventing themselves as aliens as we have entered this last age of history. And they are going to meet the Lord in battle as he returns with his angels and with his chariots at the culmination of this period of, of history that we're in right now, which I call the birth pang years, which kind of began, I believe, in 1948. We entered into the birth pang years, and, and, they, and it accelerated in 1967 when Jerusalem became part of the story. So, Ali, uh, are, are we uh, anticipating that there'll be a, um, a webinar on this topic? Well, um, there's lots of things happening with me right now. Um, I just put in a YouTube video today as well as an audio tape yesterday. Um, and um, people can find me on thinkagainproductions.com and sign up for the newsletter so they know what's going on. Um, they can double-click on the big documentary on my front page and be taken to my YouTube page where you can subscribe, watch not only the documentary but all the other videos that I have there. And, and if you want to sign up for my Patreon account and support me, you can. You'll see one of the videos talks about the Patreon. The link is right there. Um, as well as you can support me by going to the website. And then if you like what you hear and you want to support the ministry, just the bottom of the page, donation button, and you can subscribe to donate every month or just do a one-time donation. Right now we're gathering money to buy a new computer. Um, it's Think Again productions.com one word obviously thinkagainproductions.com um, and and yeah I think that um, there will be more to, to be said as we we see the rise of this final world leader and I think he will hail the authority of these beings and he will say you know I represent them and they are here to help us I think that the western world will see them as good aliens the Muslim world will see them as good angels and, and, you know, they'll be friendly with everybody and everything for a while, and then they will suddenly turn against Israel. And I think that is when uh, we enter into the last three and a half years of history 
and the Lord and his angel armies will return, and in a moment of time, all of all these events will turn on their heads, and a new age of, of history will then begin. And it's important for people to get themselves right with God now, perhaps more than ever before. Ali, as always, thank you so much. You're welcome, Richard. Thank you for having me. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details about an upcoming episode. Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free, and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android. Available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device. Coming up next time, a very different story of human evolution with author Michael Cremo. His book, Forbidden Archaeology, documents hundreds of anomalies in the archaeological record that contradict the prevailing theory of how humans developed and shows how this massive amount of evidence was systematically filtered out. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.